0: Yeah, three two uh wait hold on should we acknowledge that we deleted the episode or should we just say super
1: (laughs) yeah i think we should otherwise it's gonna be really weird (laughs) okay okay,
0: okay. um yeah three two one lovely people of the lb um this is a very quick recap version of an episode we just recorded but um as we are the rookies on the pod <laughs> we had to follow the rite of passage and not uh not not save the episode so we we just created the most amazing beautiful incredible content there was graphs and slideshows um but it's gone so it's gone. we're gonna yeah, I'm joined by Thor, By the way, sorry, for no. I, I introduced him on the other episode. It was a lovely introduction. I, I'm Thor. still feeling
1: sad. I'm very sorry for messing up the recording, but it uh, be just too much. yeah, um, we're but- we're gonna do a quick five-minute. I only have five minutes, so we are bound by time, and we are determined to make accounts So it's all yours, Ant.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'll just fly through the stats You can provide some commentary and we'll wrap it up super fast Basically what we looked at this week was We're trying to dispel some of the myths about foreign-born players um, in, in World Cup squads What we found was that It was actually the island nations, Specifically Tonga and uh, Samoa, Samoa That had huge numbers in, uh, 19 and 18 each Of foreign-born players Those two all exclusively from Australia and New Zealand Um, The vast majority were from New Zealand, and also all through who qualified through their parents. Interestingly enough, more than half of those players had actually represented either Australia or New Zealand at age group or sevens level. Um, So what that suggests is that families are moving to these countries, um, coming through the school systems, they're playing their rugby there, they're getting selected at a high level, but they're just not quite good enough to crack at the top level, heading across back to their home countries. Fiji, interestingly enough, only had four foreign-born players. Two of whom were from England, um, where their dad, who had played for Fiji, had moved across to play rugby um, before they were born. So those two have both moved back to play for, not moved back, but have gone back to play for Fiji. Um, yeah. uh, just flying through the other, the other things, home unions, a lot fewer foreigners than you expected. Um, and most importantly, a lot fewer deliberate imports. Uh, for Ireland, we know the three project players. You've got Bundyaki, Jean Klein, and CJ Stunder. Jean Klein, obviously, only very, very recently qualifying. But if we look at, say, England, where the Vuna Polars, Tuolagi and Kokonasanga, they all qualified through residency um, at very, very young ages. And so very much were not poached. Uh, um, they, were, they were, you know, products of the natural system. I think with Tuolagi, it's easy to uh, think he is, given that his brothers played for Samoa, but, you know, he's grown up in England. So you kind of can let him off the hook. The same applies to France, who have also very, very few foreign-born players. Um, Scotland have a couple more. Um, and I suppose most uh, Ireland, Wales and Scotland all have quite a few foreign-born players, if you count players born in England to Scottish or Irish parents as foreign, um, which this list does. But given the, you know, the intricacies of the weirdness of, of, the, of Great Britain and the United Kingdom in general, uh, you can't give them too much blame or claim that they're too much foreigners. Uh, A lot of the Tier 2 teams, or Tier 3 teams particularly, so looking at Canada, USA, they've got quite a mishmash of foreign-born players, guys from all over the place, um, as one would expect. Even Italy has got players from all over the place. Uh, Interestingly, Phil will share something uh, most unknown about one of their star players. Phil?
1: Yes, so Italy, everybody knows the man that sort of represents Italian rugby over the past decade or two even is Sergio Peruse. Um, and if you didn't know he actually only moved to italy when he was 17 he was born in argentina and he moved over although he does have italian uh parentage so or grandparent was it a grandparent no parent so he was a, he was able to play immediately when he moved to italy but it was only at age 17 and obviously since then he's become a something of a national hero so italy really have um, benefited from that, and also one of their previous heroes who's no longer playing anymore, Castro Giovanni, he was very much the same.
0: Yeah, um, going on to the other Antipedian teams, uh, New Zealand and Australia. New Zealand, yeah. interestingly, only three foreign born players, one each from Fiji, Samoa, and Tonga. Um, however, the Samoan and the Tongan are both, you know, again qualify through parents through residency. Residency at very, very young ages, um, whereas Sebi Rees was actively recruited. um, He got given a rugby scholarship and moved across when he was 17. Uh, That being said, he did qualify through residency a couple of years ago. Obviously, with his history, he's gone around the world a little bit, but he has found his home back in New Zealand and has qualified. But um, just to, to finish that statement very, very quickly is... You know, the comment of New Zealand poaching players is very much unfair. Um, you know, a lot of pl- families do move to New Zealand and yes, New Zealand do benefit from that. They have a lot of second generation, third generation players, but by far the biggest benefit of the New Zealand rugby system is, is Tonga and Samoa, where, you know, more than half their squad is coming out of the New Zealand rugby system um, and, you know, even having graduated and played representative level rugby for, for New Zealand at, at certain ages. Uh, Phil, do you want to do Australia very quickly?
1: Yeah, uh, just quickly on New Zealand. So, yeah, we do acknowledge that New Zealand do give out scholarships to players probably for all over the Pacific, but I think the intent is very much by the schools to improve the schools rather than sort of a a greater conspiracy by New Zealand rugby to improve their national team. But um, interestingly, looking at Australia, they're probably the team that benefit most from foreign-born players. If you look at especially their Fijian imports, they have Samu Kurevi, Tavita Kuredrani, Marika Kurebiti, and... Essie uh, um, who all qualify through residency. So all 12 of their foreign-born players are through residency. Some of them very recent, like Nasrani, who was only this year, whereas some of them go way back. Um, and guys like Christian Leleofano and Tolu Latu even in the 90s. So a lot of their players, you know, again, it's people moving to Australia when they're very, very young, uh, from places from as far as... Zimbabwe, obviously David Pocock, South Africa, Hill of Petty, and then guys like Will Guinea from Papua New Guinea, obviously not a particular rugby stronghold. Um, and then they've also got a couple of New Zealanders and a couple of Tongans. And we spoke a bit earlier about Tani Alatupo, who was probably one of the guys who, from a schoolboy level, they saw his talent and sort of was encouraged to try and qualify for Australia.
0: Yeah, so it was nice to see, again, a kind of a schoolboy prodigy, you know, get offered a contract and actually benefit from it. Um, Flying through some of the last few teams, um, Russia have only two foreigners, but those are both from uh, former Soviet Union, so that doesn't really count. Georgia's only got one, but he was born in Moscow to Georgian parents and almost immediately moved back to Georgian, so he doesn't really count. Um, Namibia, uh, Uruguay, and Argentina, fully homegrown squads, so... You know official unofficial um erb medals to them for, yeah. for you know homegrown well, players well done on them well thank you yeah uh, so <laughs> we'll make sure that that gets to you guys in the mail um and then yeah for for those South africans that like to get on our, our high horse about how you know we only give away players we do have to keep in mind that 109 cap veteran in our ranks of beast who is very much not South African, born, raised, schooled all in New Zealand and only qualified for residency for South Africa in two thousand and eight. So
1: um, sorry <laughs> okay. um New Zealand.
0: <laughs> but anyway, sorry. you <laughs> yeah. would no, be a star
1: anyway. He would be a star you'd be anyway. a
0: star anywhere, uh from a very young age. I mean, you know. But yeah. yes. So so we can't be too, too much up on our high horse. We have selected players from from all over in the past. Um you know, so we can't we can't get too too high full of ourselves. But considering we've got far more foreigners playing for other teams than we have foreigners playing for us, you know, we can be a little bit on our high horse. Paul, so, <laughs> do you have any closing comments?
1: Uh, closing comments are just tr- for everybody. I think um, when you talk about these sort of things, is probably try and do it with a bit more of an open mind. We are in a very much uh, sort of more globalized world these days. People do move around. Migration's a real thing. Guys like Winnie Polo, just because they have Tongan heritage doesn't mean that they move there just to play rugby. They have been there since they were kids. Um, They very much have uh, a strong claim to play for England. And I think the same goes with the majority of the list, um, the majority of the players that we've covered. So I think the main thing to understand is that poaching at this, le- at this elite level, this world rugby level, it's a much sort of smaller problem than a lot of people think. And before you start complaining, before you start saying that whichever team uh, benefits so much and whatever team tries to use foreigners just to make their team that much better at least try and understand some of the specifics behind it first
0: yeah i think that's very very well said i mean obviously world rugby are trying to adjust deliberate poaching by introducing the five-year rule um you know that will make it a lot more difficult or a lot riskier for a country to pick a 22 23 24 year old um with the hope of them capping them eventually um then again it does happen for hadley parks at age 30 after being a journeyman around the world but i think that's very much minority um but, yeah, I think, I think that kind of summarizes most yeah. of what you said. Sorry. The, yeah, the last the thing for me was that... Um, yeah,
1: the last thing that uh, we did cover last time, but we haven't now, is just we, we both said that maybe the grandparent rule is one that could be reviewed just because that one is a bit lenient. So that is one potential uh, area that World Rugby could sort of make a little bit stricter.
0: Yeah, that, that is fair. Um, yeah. I think, all right um, to catch up what i wanted to say <laughs>
1: Yeah, and i think i need to go so thank you so much for joining us uh for this very very brief episode and um yeah it's been real
0: yeah <laughs> in in record time um i hope we're breaking records here with the shortest episode but yeah, yeah. cheers guys uh yeah apologies for for um the brief one this time but we will yeah. definitely try and be back um during the World Cup. Let us know if there's anything you'd like us to look at in detail and we'll try our best to to give some content on that.
1: Yeah, hit us up on Twitter or Facebook. We are on those platforms under Elite Rugby Banter. So,
0: cheers. Cheers, guys.